So maybe you would agree with me, there's a little proverb that floats around in, in our culture, and it says something like this, it doesn't matter as much how you start, what matters most is, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a constant reminder or a maxim that tells us that sometimes we start really well. But what truly matters is hitting the finish line, getting to the end. So as I was thinking about that in relation to the message, I wanted to kind of sample uh, some of my examples, uh, maybe a little autobiography that shows how important it is. It doesn't matter as much how you begin. What truly matters is how you finish. Today's message is making it to the end. And so in relation to a movie, how many like movies? I love movies. And a good movie. And I see those two hands flailing in the air. And um, so Lisa and I enjoy movies and some, either at the uh, movie theater or at home or whatnot. And usually a good movie grips me immediately. Uh, right when it starts, there's something about it where I start moving towards the edge of the seat, and I sit, and I watch, and I look, and I begin to think about the uh, little clues that they're starting to drop that's going to um, go to culmination at the end, and you, and you see characters and building the character and so forth, and I love the beginning, and I'm riveted, and I'm with it. <clears throat> and then about, I don't know, midstream, hour and a half into it. Sometimes it gets a little lull before the climactic moment and the resolution and so forth. And Lisa starts hearing a little noise. She's thinking it might be coming out my nostrils or perhaps my, my mouth. And she looks over at me and she goes, are you asleep? Are you awake? And she'll nudge me for close. And, and I'll go, what? No, huh? Yeah, sure. What's up? And I'm back into the movie. I'm back into the movie, and now it's re-energizing me, and I'm moving because I know that the end is always the best. That's what this whole thing is about. Or how about the semester? Most of you have gone through at least one semester, from kindergarten up to the present. And as I was thinking about this message, I started looking at my, my life, and I've been in, in school a ton, um, and, and I tallied up 46 semesters I have start, started, been sustained in, and have finished. Now, I'm not telling you about the, the semesters that I didn't do that, but just the ones that I did. 46 starts, sustained, stops, and like... Turner, I'm really, really excited about school, and I get my number two pencils, and I, and I um, get them all sharp, and I've got my little bag ready, and I'm usually in the front row, and I'm sitting there on the seat, and I'm pressing in, and I can hardly wait. I've probably read a book or two in relation to this topic, and I just can't hardly wait, and then it starts moving, and I love it, and then my eyelids, I, I just start drifting a little bit. But fortunately, study buddies kick in and cohorts around me and they poke and they prod and they remind me and they stir me up to where I come back to my senses 
and I hit the finish line mildly successful. The Turners love to run. Well, most do. And, and we like foot races and we like competition. And I just absolutely love long races. And I can hardly wait for the next one. And, and what happens is I get super duper jazzed and I, I get my attire on and I'm stretching and I just can hardly wait. And I go to the race early in the morning. The sun's barely starting and you get to your corral of 300 or 500 people and you're nudged in there and you're starting to jump around and talk to people that you'll never see again and you're really excited and then 120 decibel thunderstruck starts and I go oh baby just pull the trigger we're ready to start and then it starts and I love it I love it Adrenaline is flowing, and I'm moving, trying to push people out of the way to get to an open area, and then get the stride. Oh, babe, this is going to be good. I can hardly wait to the end. Yeah, you're right. Right about in the middle, I start getting burning in the lungs and burning in the legs, and all I can hear is thump, 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 thump. The fanfare who doesn't know me at all, they're just faking it, aren't there anymore. And ACDC isn't blaring. And I'm just out there all by myself. And I go, where's the nearest shade tree? I've got just, just one minute. That's all I want. And then there's people around. Head up. Get your stride back. Look at me. We've got this. Let's go. Let's run together to the next mile. And then there's a little pack or whatnot. And then pretty soon, you can hear the finish line. And there's music and there's wonder at the finish line, and the regain some energy, and off we go. That's life, isn't it? It's not so much how you start, but rather the most important thing is how you finish. Isn't it so true about the Christian life? So true. February 17th of 84, God caused me to be born again, and I was a zealous little boy. And I was voracious in the, in, the, in the Bible. And just could hardly wait to grow and grow and go and go. And that first year was good. But there was one time I recall, the beginning of times in my life after 37 years where there's a flickering of doubt or wavering unbelief or what's happening. When I went to this church in Hawaii, and this is the first time that I ever heard expository, expositional preaching. And this man was filled with the Spirit and illumined by him. And, and, and 1 Thessalonians came out from the book and it was stunning to me. But there was a problem. I had secret sins that were besetting me. And each time I repented, it, it almost felt like it was, it was sticky and it would snap back on me and I was having a difficult time releasing and growing. And, and, and he was preaching on holiness and without holiness no one will see God. And, and, and he was really intense. And, and I started thinking, will I make it to the end? I don't, I don't think I'm going to make it to the end. And so when it was over, I ran up to him and talked something like this and probably had tears going down my, my face. And he said, just come over here into the corner. And he did something. He wrote something on a piece of paper and he encouraged me with pastoral love and whatnot. And he said, now read this. And I opened it up and it said, he 
who began a work in you will do it. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Right out of 1 Thessalonians. I went, that's a promise. Filling my heart with energy, confidence, assurance, slowly, surely, repenting of sins that were besetting, I begin to walk anew. That is what we're going to be talking about this morning. What we're doing here is working our way through probably the most neglected Bible, most neglected book in the entire Bible. It's just a thin little layer. We'll call it a, a, a postcard from God. And, and people just don't read it. Well, we have slowly worked through it. And week in and week out, you've heard from Pastor Garrison thunderous sightings of God's wrath and God's judgment on the false teachers and those who will pervert the grace of God for sensual activities. And it was powerful. That's the body of the letter, but now we're turning the corner and now there's application. He turns the corner and he says, but you, beloved, but, but you, beloved, and now there's a paragraph that is going to land upon Veritas my hope and prayer in such a way that together we will make it to the end. The message coming out of this passage, Jude 17 through 23, is I condensed it into a sentence. I hope it reflects the whole paragraph, but it sounds like this. Through God's people, God ensures that his people will make it to the end. Beloved, the Bible teaches that God creates in us what he commands from us. And in this passage, he commands us. This is not advice. This is not take it to heart and see what happens. This is God Almighty commanding us three things. And in obeying by faith with His grace, these three things, God works in His people to make sure they are being obedient to these commands and He escorts us and takes us across the finish line. Making it to the end requires obedience. And the obedience of these three commands is what today is all about. Will you stand with me at the reading of Jude chapter 7, chapter, verse 17 through 23, and we stand with great reverence. We open our Bibles, we open our hearts, we open our ears with heightened anticipation that this is God's word, and He actually speaks afresh these words into our ears and hearts. Please listen now to the Word of God. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. 
But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's get right after it. There are three commands here. Three commands that must be obeyed. And what we're seeing out of this is through God's people, God ensures God's people that they will make it to the end. And the first command we see is verse 17 through 19. And it says, remember. In the Christian life, there is no spiritual amnesia that is responded to. It's okay. Ignorance is not bliss. We are commanded over and over and over to remember. And this one is thunderous. And he says, you must remember. Remember what? Then he goes into the apostles. And the Bible calls the apostles the foundation of our faith, right? And these are men, 12 men, who walked with, lived with, touched, saw, camped with Jesus Christ our Lord. And they saw Him touch humans who were deeply broken and disturbed with His miracles. And out came fresh life and joy and hope, and they watched Him, they listened to Him, and they've been used by God to write the New Testament. And the summary of this was a prediction. And Jude picks up on this and talks to a church in the first century, and oh, how much more do we need it in the 20th century that there's going to be scoffers. Scoffers make fun of those who are walking in a different way. Scoffing. That they're natural. The Apostle Paul uses the word in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that says they're not supernatural. They're not filled with the Spirit. They're not alive in Christ. They're just worldly. And they're devoid of the Spirit. These are the false teachers. These are the cunning ones who look really good to some churches and actually get into some churches and they're false shepherds feeding them own, own selves and wreaking havoc and causing division. We must remember, beloved, that there is gospel distortion present today. Culture is not neutral. The radio is not neutral. Culture is not a bad thing to jettison and go into a little cubbyhole until Jesus comes back. But no, for sure, culture is not neutral in this kind of teaching. Even in Christian environments, even religiosity, you're going to hear it. And if we are soothed into thinking that we are safe and nothing is going on, it begins. And it starts in the imagination. And we begin to start entertaining thoughts that are not true to the Gospel. And it slowly drifts and moves into thoughts that are not even close to the Gospel. And then it happens. 
she is picked up and taken away from the dock of biblical theology and robust faith in Jesus Christ and then she's dropped into the tempestuous sea of relativism and it's real and it's true and it ought to cause us to be awake to the danger that lurks in and amongst us. That's the first command. It's not a suggestion. Remember that it is dangerous today. Number two, in verse 20 and 21, we see the next command. I'm not going to geek too much on you guys, but you've got to have a little bit of grammar to to go through this, this paragraph. And these three basic commands are there, and we're to listen to them. They're highlighted almost with, with a highlighter to, so that we can see them clearly. But in verse 20 and 21, there's a, 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 a centerpiece to the paragraph. This is kind of the central key command found in this three-part commands of, of how to apply what we've been hearing in Jude. And in verse 21a, or in other words, the first part of verse 21 What do you read? Keep yourselves in the love of God. It's not a suggestion. That's not, this is good for this week, this month, this year. This is all out, guys, till you get to be 60 and older each and every day. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, I want you to notice two things about this command. First, the reflexive pronoun And second, what it's aiming to do. It does not say, please note, each one of you is to keep yourself in the love of God. That's true in the Bible. And and we have private and personal disciplines of the faith, right? We read our Bibles alone. We memorize. we, We get strengthened by that. We pray. We recite things. We repent. We grow in grace. But this one is community. This is a group effort. A community project. And there's that reflexive pronoun that says we are building ourselves. So it comes back on us. So it's not like one builder in a church that's building people. Nor is it a bunch of individuals building each other but they're not together. No, we have a responsibility and a privilege and an obligation to look around. And you can do it right now and just start looking at people going, I have an obligation to you to build you up in our most holy faith. That, that's an obligation. That's, that's a requirement. We have to be obedient to that. What are we building each other up in or on? He says, our most holy faith. As you read Jude, there will be clues as to what he's getting at. But faith harkens back to verse 3. And we saw in that message that it's a body of truth. It's not subjective trusting, believing, having faith in. Though that is true all over the place. This one, however, is that the, the, the deposit of truth. It's Bible. Genesis through Revelation. This is the faith. 
But then as you continue to read and study and meditate on 66 books of the Bible, written over 14 or 1600 years by 40 different people, three different continents, is there any continuity? There is. There's a thread that holds it all together called the Gospel. And, and in the middle of the Gospel, we have a character, a person, who is... Oh my word. Thank you, thank you. The Lord Jesus Christ, He is the hero of this book. He is the central character and player of this entire storyline called the Bible. And when we leaf through it, we hear the Gospel all over it. That's the faith into which we are to build ourselves. Not just self, but ourselves. Helping each other gain access and, and seeing it and savoring it. Building yourselves up in our most holy faith. But then he calls it holy. I know some of your Bibles have holy Bible. And you almost think that's kind of a title. But this is an adjective describing this. Holy. 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 This is, this is precious beyond measure. This is a value that, that supersedes anything and everything you could possibly imagine. It's a gift by God. It's a, it's a beauty that will break any cold, hardened heart. It's holy faith. And then there's one more thing that he does with it. Did you see that? We're building ourselves up with our most holy faith. So this isn't just mine. It's not just yours. It's, it's ours. And, and it's possessive. It's like a gift. And it's okay to hold it like this. And it's our most holy faith. It's precious. This thing's about 10 years old. It still smells good. And, and you, you move towards God's Word. And you read and recite and reflect and rehearse and regurgitate God's Word. And then you give it away. You don't hold it back. It's not a privatistic discipline. It moves in the public. It goes back and forth and all around to you and me and all of us. We are building each other up in our most holy faith. Perhaps a word that would describe it and succinctly put it is knowledge. Grow in your knowledge. Ignorance is not bliss. Remember the Word grow in the Word, study, and whatnot. How do we do that corporately? There are many ways that we do that. First and foremost, you're experiencing it right now. There's a call out to God's people. Here at Veritas, it's Sunday, and it's, I'm going to say 9.30, because you 10-10ers will hear 9.30 and adjust the clock back to 9.55. Anyway, there's a call out to all of us. Come, come. And in Puritan days, they used to ring the bell and write the spire at the middle of the town and people would come, come. And we don't have a bell that will reach all of you. So it's just come. And so the Bible says we draw near to God. That's a corporate word there. And we gather. We're in assembly. And in the assembly we have someone who is deeply gifted and empowered by the Spirit to write liturgies and help us. So we enter into Brian's ministry and it's telling the story of the Gospel. If you didn't know that, pay attention next week very, very carefully. 
And it starts with the grace and glory of God. And then it moves to sin and sadness and, and confession. And then there's an assurance and a, and, and, and a, and a, and a, a peace that's good. And we pass the peace and we get ready to hear God. And then we will respond in supping together of the, the Lord's table and then just praising Him on our feet. It's the whole storyline and the consummation of the end. It's not quite here yet. It's gorgeous. And so we pray together. We sing together. The Bible says in, in Colossians 3 that we're singing to one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Have you ever just closed your mouth momentarily and listened to God's people singing reality? It's beautiful. I encourage you to do that. And some of you don't open your mouth, so I encourage you to open your mouth. And you might be like me, you can't sing, and it doesn't matter. It's a joyful noise, so you let it out, and people get over, you know, you're not on key, or, you know, you miss words. It's okay. It's imperfect, but the word is going out, and it fills and floods our soul, and we go, yes, I'm encircled with the presence of God. We recite... We have the Lord's table. We're reminded of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Post-gatherings, we commune, we communicate. Hopefully it's through the words of, of Gospel and just loving on one another. And now without masks, even holy kisses, the Bible says. I didn't think I'd get an amen out of that. But it's getting close to one another and saying, I missed you, how are you? And that's communicating the most Holy Word. Our precious Holy Word. That's keeping ourselves in the love of God. The next ING of how to keep ourselves in the love of God is not only building, but also praying. Do you see that in there? Praying in the Spirit. There's a lot of interpretation that goes into that. There's camps that go up and all that. I'm just tired of that. This, this letter says we're in God and we're in His love and we're kept by Him. And so we're in the Trinity. In Christ, in God, in the Spirit. And we are right in the middle of God the Father and God the Son sharing love and delight and pleasure with each other. And when we are born again, we're united by faith to the Trinity. And in the Trinity, we are loved immensely. And we hear the fresh sightings of Christ and we're encouraged. I think that just in the Spirit, is, is a strengthening, a zeal, a fervency to pray for one another and to go close to one another with God's Word. God's Word can be an academic study. I've been around it. It's awful. It's just ink on a page, but it's alive. And it's alive due to Word and Spirit. And so we must be praying for one another and with one another as we're sharing God's Word because we're building each other up in our most holy faith and thus keeping ourselves in the love of God. There's one more ING. These are participles if you're wanting to know and you just kind of circle them that are clustered around the how to obey this command of keep yourself in. And it's, it's a four-letter word that I absolutely hate. I see it all over the Bible. I'm trying to get better. I really am. 37 years of walking with Jesus, I think I'm getting a little bit better, but oh, 
and it's called waiting. There's our ING. Building, praying, and now waiting. Waiting for the rain to stop so I can mow the grass that's growing. Not another day. It's going to kill my back out there. Waiting when Lisa sends me to Kroger's with just one thing on the list. I say, honey, write it down. I'm not going to be responsible for not getting the wrong thing. Just write it down. Take a picture of it. And I go there and I'm on a mission and I get it. IL-3, Section 4, got it. And then I want to get out of there. What happens? IL-5 is the smallest. I'm in it because I'm smart. And then, and then Joanne wants to talk to everyone in Kettering, Ohio. It's okay, Joanne. I know that you're just a lovely lady, but I just have one. I just want to go. Look over. IL-1 is cooking. Excuse me, excuse me. Run over. And guess what happens? God has better ideas than for me to just race out of there with the one thing and say, here, Lisa, I did it. Sanctification. Turner, have a seat. Wait. Because now Loretta has to check out, so it's kind of closed momentarily, but then George is coming in, and, and he's going to fumble around and get the cash register ready, and then, good night. I'm tempted to run out and steal it. Don't do that. Wait, wait, wait. So waiting is vitally important for keeping us in the love of God. Waiting for what? Mercy. Oh God, I need mercy. Mercies are new every day. Great is your faithfulness. And mercy of whom? The Lord Jesus Christ the God-man that we're going to actually see His face and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter your Master's joy. And He's coming. And He's coming. And we need to wait. Wait with great joy. This waiting is not like the dentist office that requires delightful diversions known as magazines all over your life. This is like two hours before Lisa and I got married and I was putting on my tuxedo and my heart was beginning to pound. And then I got on the platform, and the procession, these ladies are lovely, but boy, oh boy, my heart isn't even seeing you. I'm kind of naughty. And I lean over to my good friend, my pastor, and said, it's almost here. And he said, slow down. And then the doors open, and there she is. (laughs) The wait is glorious. It's glorious. Don't go after delightful diversions in this world. Wait. He is coming and He's bursting forth with new mercies to escort you into eternal life. People like that build people up like this so that we collectively stay in the glorious reality of the love of God. That was... Command number two. And then I thought I was done. Until, obviously, Jude wasn't. And so he penned down verses 22 and 23. (laughs) I always leapfrog over those two verses to get to one of my favorite benedictions. Glorious. Pastor Garrison actually took that away from me about three weeks ago. I started crying. I, come, that's one of my favorite of all times. And he said, it's mine. So 
Come back next week and you're going to hear uh, the end of the story. But until then, he's got one more command for us. And it's this. Mercy those turning away from his love. What? Again, these commands are encircling keeping ourselves in the love of God so we're not deceived and start drifting with this slithering, hissing sound of Satan and his deceptive ways of charming and seducing God's people to leave the centerpiece of reality, namely in Christ with God's love. And this happens. You can see it there. In there, there's three subsets known as some, others, yet still others. It was hard to get to the bottom of this, but I think I'm on to it. I think this is a correct interpretation. The sum here is mercy. Mercy those who doubt. Don't go to one another with a self-righteousness because you don't doubt. You've never doubted. You're totally confident and secure. And you look down on people going, you're, you're doubting that? You waver over that? Idiot. Here, let me, let me try to help you. No, no. Verse 21 says we are going to be so mercied. It will spill out on mercy others, right? And so there are people in this room who doubt. The, the, the flickering wick in Isaiah where he says, I just cut my hands around you and blow gently so that your flame begins to burn more brightly. He's so patient and caring and sweet patient with us, loving us, and through His people, God ensures that His people will make it to the end. When you're around, this is a safe place. If you're doubting the veracity of God's Word, if you're doubting that Christ was a historic figure, that the cross was a reality, that resurrection truly happened and the second coming is coming, That there's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. All these magical, wonderful, stupendous realities your mind might be flickering. Talk. Come open with people. Don't go hiding if you're a doubter because this is the, the progression of verses 22 and 23. You start hitting the slippery slope. You put your little toe on. I think the world is pretty cool right here. I don't think the Bible actually says that. It's very slippery. You can't stop it. And you begin to slip down. You begin to drift away. And now we have drifters. And if you've ever been in ministry long enough, you know there's doubters, of course. But there are drifters. And some get super duper close to the wrath of of God. So much so that you will hear God's Spirit through God's Word in this passage saying, go! Snatch them out of the inferno. They're dangling over the eternal precipice of fire. Pluck them! Snatch! It's a very strong word. If you must grab them physically and run with them. 
I'm serious. Don't be bashful. Don't pull back. We are to be obedient children of our Master and Lord, the sweet, sovereign God who loves us. And so you're cupping your arms around the doubter, and then you're seeing one drifting, drifting, drifting. You've called, you've called, you've written, you've texted, you've done, and they're just getting more distant and more distant. Run! Grab! Snatch! Who knows, through you might come newness of life and an awakening from the stupor and the insanity that God does not have our best interest at heart. And the last one is really strange. Mercy with fear. Hating even the garments that have been stained by the flesh. Flesh, and in verse 8, I think it is, or maybe 11, somewhere right around there, it ties into these are the deceivers. And I just want to say, according to the Bible, that we hate their aberrant activities and we abhor their teachings. But they're human beings that are going to go into eternal lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels in dark, gloomy, eternal dungeon. And, and it doesn't stop. It's never-ending, ever-increasing misery. And our hearts are to just kind of well up with, oh, God, this world is under the curse and under the sway of the God of this age. Oh, please, please, I don't even know how to pray. But there's mercy in the heart. Don't get close to them. Because it says mercy with fear. Fear of their abilities. And I'm going to say devilish, satanically induced energies to attract and seduce. You get close saying, hey, let's go have a Big Mac, a large order of fries, and a Coca-Cola, and we'll laugh at some good jokes. Yeah, it isn't good. And you're going to get sucked into deception. Right? Leave it to the pastors of this church according to the Bible and pray and have mercy, but don't go out to the false teachers and deceivers thinking you're just going to buddy up. Well, that's the message. There's three commands, all of which are of utmost importance to obey. Why? So that we collectively will make it to the end. There's some here perhaps who are going, gosh, Turner, I don't even know what you're talking about. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a believer. Then this is the time. Repent of your unbelief and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Trust Him for what He did on the cross on your behalf. Come, talk to me, talk to some, talk to all. We'll start the discipleship. We'll go into baptism. We'll be together in covenant community of building each other up. We'll run the race set before us. And we will make it to the end because God ensures that we do as we obey these three commands to go ahead. Those of you who are doubting, those of you who touch the slippery slope, please hear this voice from God through His passage. There is hope. Cry out. And those of you who are in the holy huddle, those of you who are in deep in the love of God and not 
being tempted currently, run after them. Get with them. That way we collectively persevere to the end. August 28th, I think it was, a long, long time ago, 410 A.D., the unthinkable happened. After 900 years of impenetrable safety and security, Rome fell in an attack. The Gothic army took them down. And Jerome who wrote the Latin Vulgate, was in Palestine at the time. And he was reflecting on this, and here are his, his words. If Rome can perish, what can be safe? In the walls of assurance, in the security of his outstretched arms, cupped around his people, the small little flock known as his precious family. Safety. Safety. And as we love on one another and pray for one another and encourage one another, his spirit just breathes on us and builds us and cleanses us and settles us down so that these indestructible, eternal, omnipotent hands take us right to the finish line and we get to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for a little paragraph in the Bible that means everything to us. Thank you for infusing it with your spirit and allowing us to hear the words afresh. Apply it to our hearts, whether they're quivering or whether they're resting. Regenerate us, rejuvenate us, strengthen us, guide us that making it to the end is the best part of the whole story. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.